John 7. Verse 25. Alright, I need a volunteer who I'm going to select randomly. Alright, Iris, when you get there, will you read verses 25 through 31? Nice and loud. Let's give everyone a second. We got a few people still turning. John 7, 25 through 31. When you're ready, Iris. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I came from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? All right, thank you. So let's review very quickly. What was last week in 7, 1 through 24, what was the narrative that played out? All right, there's the Feast of Booze, and what was the, I'll say the drama of the situation. The feast is happening, and what was going on? No, it's not that Jesus didn't want to pass through Samaria. What was the... The Pharisees were looking for him. And his brother told him to go kill him. Yeah. Yeah, his brothers basically said, go kill yourself. Okay, why did they... And Jesus is teaching. And then Jesus teaches. Right, okay, so the family takes off, and where does the family go? They go to the Feast of Booze in Jerusalem. Does Jesus go with them? No. No, he comes privately later. So he kind of sneaks into the city covertly, and then next thing you know, he's up there in the temple, and he is teaching. That's what verse 14 tells us. And now they're like utterly confused because this man is teaching. Now, we're introduced in verse 25 to what's, what's happening now. Jesus is up there teaching, and what's the response of certain people? Aren't they trying to kill this dude? Yeah. <laughs> Aren't they trying to kill this man? Like This is suicide. Okay, yeah, but you also have to ask this question. What is the question that they're asking? Like, they're over here, like, they're, like, they're trying to kill him, and yet they're not even doing anything about it. Yeah, if you're really trying to kill this man, why are you letting him up here talk? He's up here teaching and proclaiming his word to the people here at the temple, and you all want to kill him, but you're not doing anything about it. Now, why do you think that they're not doing anything? Like, why do you... Why do you think these Pharisees are just kind of sitting back and, and letting this happen? Okay, not good for his pub, for publicity. What, Sierra? Okay, yeah, he's gaining public appeal. I mean, think about it. Just just work through the logic of that scenario. You've got a couple hundred, maybe thousand people, however many are there at the temple, and Jesus has their attention and he's teaching them. What happens if you walk in and pull him off the stage arresting him? <laughs> they start asking questions? Okay. What, Jeremy? Yeah, rioting? Rebellion? Yeah, they're, they're afraid of the people. See, here's the reality. is they're working? The Pharisees are working this dynamic between we hate him, we can't stand him, we want him gone, 
and we're scared of what will happen if we do anything to him, at least publicly. They are not willing to take him publicly. They want everything to be covert, through the night, or with very few people around. So the general population, whoever it is, we're told some of the people at Jerusalem are, are figuring things out. Wait a second, what's going on? Okay, so verse 26 tells us that he's here speaking openly, and they're not doing anything about it. So what is their conclusion then? If he is here speaking, they're doing nothing, but they secretly actually want to kill him. What's the conclusion they draw? What does scripture tell us? Is he the Christ? Do you see it? What verse do you see it in? 26. So you've got this dynamic of, wait, this man is sought after to be put to death, but yet, at the exact same time, he is here teaching, and the authorities might know that this is actually the Christ. Now, now let that play out in how this situation happens. What happens if they arrest him and he is the Messiah? Oops. Was yeah, it's not it's not good. But what's their articulation? So they're wait, is this the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? What's their logic for how they know it's not the Messiah? They know where he's from. We know where he is from. Okay, help me out, guys. What question am I going to be asking you? Where is he from? All right, what, where is he from? Nazareth. <laughs> so the question they're asking is, well, we know where he's from. Now, what's the next comment that's made? Look at your Bible. What's the next comment that is made? When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. All right. So we know where Jesus is from, but this Messiah we're looking for, no one knows where he is from. Now, what does your Bible have there at that statement? Jesus says. No, what Addison just read for us, or paraphrased. When Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. You asking what Jesus says? No, what does your Bible have? You've got an ESV, I know it has it. It has words. Yeah, what is there with those words? I'll give you a hint. I'm looking at punctuation. What'd you find, Blake? It's a quotation. Uh-oh. Now what question am I going to ask you? Where is, it a, where is it a question from? All right. Now we're in a predicament because we have a quotation. But I don't know about you, but my Bible doesn't have a footnote to tell me where the quotation's from. Isaiah. All right, so you guys have phones. Let's use them productively. Your Bible says this is a quote. For some reason, the translators saw that this should be a quote. Um, Tyler, do you have you have an ESV, right? Okay. Um, Zach, you have CSB. Yes, sir. Do you have quotes around it? Yes, sir. 
Addison, you have NIV? Mm -hmm. Does it have quotes around it? No. No quotes around but, it. You mean quotation marks? Yeah. Yeah. But oh, it does. Say where it's from. Okay. All right, so we've got NIV, CSB, ESV. Um, anyone have a King James? Jacobson's usually have a King James. I got a new King James. All right, do you have quotation marks? Uh, it just says that the people said these things. It doesn't say, it, that's where the quotations are from, but not like it's from an Old Testament book. Okay. So where did they get this idea? Use your phones, use Google. Let's see, can we find where this is coming from? Why do these people think that when the Messiah comes, we're not going to know where he comes from? Where did he come from? Where did he go? Where did he come from? Verse 25, Abby. Verse 25 is where the quotation starts. Is not this the man who they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him? Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know when this, where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. That's all one statement. Okay, Malachi 3.1, Blake. Okay, now, Blake, how did we get there? We're going to all head to Malachi 3.1. How did you find that you should go to Malachi 3.1? I went to Blue Letter Bible. Okay, you went to Blue Letter Bible, and what would you do? A text commentary for John chapter 7. Scroll down to see where verse that we were in. And it says, you know, the appeared. And then okay. where he listed Malachi 3.1. All right, well, let's go to Malachi 3.1 and see if that answers our question. Why do they think this person's coming and there's not going to be any awareness of where he comes from? Alright. Where do we get chapter 3, verse 1, connecting us over to John 7? Verses 25 down through 27. All right. So suddenly. Okay, well, let's do this. Um, ESV? Okay, Zach. Malachi 3.1, does it say suddenly come? Let's compare some translations. Yes. All right. Addison, what does the NIV say? Oh, you didn't, go, you didn't get to Malachi 3.1? I didn't go there in my Bible. I went there on Blue Letter Bible. Okay. That's fine. I mean, we, you can lose, use Blue Letter Bible to get multiple translations. But I was just using the translations we have in our in our room. Yeah, that's what Abby read. They all say suddenly. Yeah, they all say suddenly. All right. All right, I found it. All right, so everyone is trained. Not everyone. I shouldn't say that. It might be a misconception. Okay. Several English translations use the word suddenly. Okay. Is suddenly the same as not knowing where he comes from? No. Okay. Well, let's see. Someone other than Blake. Can you figure it out through Blue Letter Bible? What is the word behind suddenly in Malachi 3.1 that we're looking at? Does it tell us? Does, does the word suddenly have a definition or a meaning or an understanding that there is a no-known source, if you will? How do we do that? 
It is, you're looking for the word interlinear, Jeremy. So we want to go to Blue Letter Bible. You're in Malachi 3.1. Try to. I'll mirror my phone up here to the screen so you guys can see. Oh wait. Hey Tartar, run back there and grab the Roku remote, please. By the computer. Might be in the chair. Just hit the select button up here to allow it. So let's look here, guys. So if you are having difficulty finding, so you've got Blue Letter Bible open. You've got Malachi 3.1. So what we're going to do is we're going to tap on the verse, and then we want the interlinear. Interlinear is going to put a Hebrew word next to an English word or phrase to help us understand it. Now, so it gives us the Hebrew text. It gives us the Hebrew interlinear, and now we're going to scroll down, and we're going to look. So we got Hene, behold, I. We've got Salah, I'm going to send. Malak is my messenger. Pana, and he will clear. Okay, Derek is the way. Panim is before me. Okay, Pitom is and suddenly so that doesn't tell us anything but see carter can you read from back there i know i don't have all screens on all right so h6597 is what's called the strong's number he h is for hebrew it is the six thousand oops six thousand okay so now i tap on that h6597 i can go in and i can read and hear it, okay? It's got the transliteration. It's got a pronunciation for me. It tells me the root word that it comes from. And it says it is an adverb. All right, now what's an adverb? Let's not overlook parts of speech. Yeah, so we, we have an adjective of a verb, if you will. We're modifying a verb. So he is coming how is he coming suddenly or surprisingly it is translated most of the time as suddenly sudden or straightway and as we scroll down and we look at some other references of it the explanation of it is so it's from two different words it means a moment the termination that's changed into is changed into Suddenly, in a moment, it is also put after nouns in the genitive. 
Um, as gives you an example, sudden terror, often after as an intensive in power, and then it gives you a couple different references for how that would happen. Okay. So that being said, does it specifically say we don't know where he comes from? But does it answer the question? Yes or no? Does it answer the question about whether or not we're going to know where he comes from? Anyone ever been surprised before? Did you see the surprise coming? No. What? Anything? So, yeah. Someone was standing near you that you didn't realize they were there. Whoa! Where'd you come from? You startled me. You suddenly showed up. So, here's what we have. We have an understanding that we don't know where he comes from we don't know where he comes from because he shows up suddenly does it make sense yes so now i think we do we have an answer to our question why do they think they're not going to know where he comes from now we could continue to dig a little bit more we can go back to john chapter 7 we could dig a little more and see if maybe there's another reference that maybe um, there would be this specific reference to you won't know where he's coming from. But I think what you're going to find is that there is an abundance of information or the information that is at least available is going to point you to it's sudden, therefore it's unknown. Right? Things that happen suddenly, are they known? No. If they're known, they don't happen suddenly. Right? That's the whole point. So these people say, we, don't, we know that we're not going to know where he comes from. Why? Well, because of a verse like Malachi chapter 3 tells us that we're not actually going to uh, know where he comes from because he shows up suddenly. But what does Jesus say about where he comes from? Their, their perspective is, could this be the Messiah? No, it can't be the Messiah. He, he doesn't come from anywhere. He just kind of like, poof, there he is. But what does Jesus say about his origin? What does the Bible say? Look at the next verses, guys. Go to 28. The, the people argue their perspective, and then Jesus responds. All right, let's work through all of what he says. So Jesus proclaims as he teaches in the temple. What is it that Jesus says first in his response to them? You know me. What else do they know about him? And you know where I come from. But what is the caveat to where he is coming from? What's the, what's the condition with how he is coming? How is it that Jesus is coming? Alright, so he is coming not of his own will. He's coming not of his own will. What else is he doing? How else is he coming to them? Alright. 
And what's understood if you're sent? You're sent by someone. Someone above him. Someone of a superior authority. Because he is obeying. All right, what else does he say? He says, you know me. You know where I come from. But I didn't come here of my own accord. I didn't come here for my own reasons, my own purpose. I didn't come here of my own volition. I came here because of what? That he was sent. Now, what is the next thing Jesus says about this one who has sent him? I heard two different things. Tyler, what did you say? They don't know the person who sent him. And then I heard another answer back here. That he is true. So he is coming, and he is sent. <coughs> by an unknown sender, who also happens to be true. All right, so who's the unknown sender? The Father is. Does that answer our suddenly thing? Think back to Malachi 3.1. You guys remember what Malachi 3.1 said? Alright, God says, I'm sending my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. Now, here's the question. Who is the messenger of Malachi 3.1? I heard John the Baptist and I heard Jesus. So we have to read more of Malachi 3 to find out which guy it is. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit at a refiner and purifier of as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. So he says, I'm sending a messenger. And then the Lord whom you seek will come to his temple. We have Jesus showing up in the temple, seeking to purify the people that are there. He has already had the messenger who has gone before him. I would say the messenger is John, John the Baptist of chapter 3, verse 1 in Malachi. And then after 3, 1, it transitions to talking about Jesus showing up. So then Jesus says that I've been sent. That person is of greater authority than me because he has the authority to send Jesus. He says, you don't know him. He is true. What else does he say about this one that has sent him? Read the next verses. What else do we know about this one who has sent Jesus? They don't know him. Okay, they don't know him, but who does? Yeah, Jesus knows him. Jesus knows him. What else? What else does it tell us about this one who has sent him? 
What's um, contradictory about saying I am from him based in light of what we've already read this morning in John 7? Where else is Jesus from? Nazareth. We've already read where he's from. He says, you know me. You know where I'm from. And then he says later, but I'm from there. He says he's from both places. How is Jesus from both places? From heaven when the spirit conceived in Mary's womb, but he grew up in Nazareth. Okay. So can Jesus be from both places? Are we comfortable with that? All right. What's the problem with saying he sent me? It makes it sound like we're different people. Okay. What, what's, their, what's their issue going to be with saying he sent me? Yeah, to claim that God sent you? Yes. That's the thing about blasphemy. If whatever you say is actually true, it's not blasphemy. But if it's not, it's blasphemy. point so he says I'm sent from God you know me you know where I came from but I've not come here of my own accord because he who sent me is true and him you do not know now isn't that an insult to a Jew that they don't know the father they don't know Yahweh but I know him because I come from there and he sent me all right, so what's their response to Jesus saying these things? Yeah, so they are seeking to arrest him. They're looking to do it, but what do they actually do? Nothing. Why does no one touch him? Because his hour has not yet come. I mean, think of it. I know we're not, but think for a moment with me. How cool would that be? Like to be Jesus, like in those three years, where like people hate you and they're gonna try to kill you, and you're just like, nope, can't touch me, you can't do this. You just like, you you can't arrest me. I can't die today. Yeah, he will eventually. But let's ask this question by by means of application. Does that mean that, like, you and I, as long as we serve God's purposes, we can't die? What if it is God's purpose for us to die? Blake, that's deep end of the pool right there. Have you ever considered that for a moment? That as long as you are serving the purposes of God, not that you are, but in, in a manner of speaking, that he will protect you. You're not going to die one moment sooner than he wants you to. Now, that does not mean that we abandon all safety and reason and logic and just do really stupid stuff trying to kill ourselves to put God to the test, because that's never really worked well for anyone who put God to the test. But generally speaking, as long as you are serving God, doing what he wants you to do, he's going to give you the ability to do what he's called you to do. Now, there is a balance in we live in a sinful, fallen world. And it could very well be that you are doing and God would continue to use you serving him. 
but someone else's sinful choices may end your life. And we do live in that balance. But I think it should be an encouragement to us to the sense of we should be striving to serve God more because we enjoy the life that we have. Instead, what often happens is we just kind of live our lives to enjoy the life that we have, and oh, by the way, if we serve God, we maybe we'll do it a little here or there. But that's not like the driving force of what we do. Our driving force is we want to do well, we want to succeed, we want to do whatever it is that we have a desire for. And so his hour has not yet come, and so many people have believed in him as a result of this. That's what verse 31 tells us. So he says these things, he's teaching, and they're scared to lay hands on him. And with every moment that passes that they don't arrest him, more and more people are becoming believers. And many people believe, and they say, when the Christ appears... Will he do more signs than this man has done? So what's their contention? It's, not, it's no longer about when the Messiah comes, he's coming from nowhere because we're not going to know where he comes from. What are they pointing to is now, this is why we think this man is the Messiah. What are they looking at for their belief? Yeah, the signs and miracles. Now, someone help break down that last verse that we read, verse 31. Last phrase. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Yeah, okay, so he has done signs, but in relation to maybe other miracle workers or signs or whatever that they have or have not seen, quantifiably, what are they thinking? Maybe he's the forerunner. What else? Do you, do you think they're considering that maybe this man in front of them is the goat? Yeah. Like, will he do more signs than this guy? It's like saying that he's done like the most signs. Yeah. Like Jesus is out here doing the most, and who's going to do more than that? Like when the Messiah comes, is he going to do more than this? Because it seems like there's a whole lot of evidence out here in these signs as to why we believe what we believe. Why I believe what we've just articulated that these people have believed. And so what ends up happening as we move into verse 32, and we'll pick up there next week, is as the Pharisees hear the crowd muttering these things about him, that's when they get moved to action. They were scared of the people until they realize the people are starting to follow this man, not them. And so that's where they're going to be spurned on to movement. But we'll pick up with verse 32 next time.